There's something really curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Commence episode now. All systems remain nominal. 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 Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. You might be wondering why this episode is so late in launching into the podosphere. Well, I can only apologise for this because there has been a perfect storm of occurrences that prevented us from releasing this episode on time and nearly not putting anything out at all for May. Firstly, I had family matters to attend to and was off the radar for a while. Then John Berger was recovering from a chest infection and wasn't able to come on board. I also need to apologise for this episode being a little short. The reasons for this will be made clear throughout the episode. So we're going to take a short break and then Ross Hockham from UK Astronomy will be joining us for the Sky Guide for May. put on a special pair of glasses and look up into the night sky, you would see something amazing. A sky full of exoplanets, planets orbiting stars beyond our own solar system. A team of superhero space telescopes, in a sense, has done just that. Using powerful technology, they've peered into space, discovering thousands of these distant planets and unveiling their secrets. The first exoplanet discoveries were very down to earth, they were made from the ground. Pioneering new techniques, ground-based telescopes began capturing evidence of giant, scorchingly hot planets around other stars. But to see exoplanets more clearly, including small rocky worlds like our own, telescopes needed a boost. We began launching them into space, lifting them above Earth's atmosphere. This superhero team of space telescopes, Hubble, Chandra, Spitzer, Kepler, and Tess were free from all the noise and interference from Earth's atmosphere, jittering air molecules, scattering light, clouds, and moisture. And the curtain parted on a galaxy crowded with exoplanets, giant ones, tiny ones, rocky and gaseous, deep frozen and superheated, planets with two or three suns, super Earths, mini Neptunes, and worlds that were just plain weird, like nothing we had ever seen before. And now, a new marvel of technology joins NASA's team, the James Webb Space Telescope. Its infrared vision can peer into the atmospheres of exoplanets, expanding what we know about distant worlds. High on the list of odd exoplanets to observe is a terrifying place where it might rain glass sideways. This exoplanet is called HD 189733b, and it's a hot Jupiter, a giant gaseous world that hugs its star in such a tight orbit that its temperature is more than 1,700 degrees Fahrenheit. Its winds howl at more than 5,400 miles per hour. 
HD 189733b has been a favorite target of our space telescopes. Spitzer measured its temperature and winds. Hubble discovered that the planet's clouds are deep blue due to the raining glass or silicates. And Chandra observed its star in X-rays, watching the planet's shadow as it passed in front of the star. A much larger shadow than previously thought because huge amounts of the planet's atmosphere are evaporating into space. NASA's next great observatory, the James Webb Space Telescope, will also turn its supervision on HD 189733b. Like Spitzer, it sees in powerful infrared light, but Webb's vision will penetrate far more deeply into this planet's atmosphere and others than ever before. What will it find? Put it all together and it's a super team. Extraordinary telescopes, exceptional vision, and mind-expanding exoplanet discoveries. On canvas with paint in the artist's school, it is red that is hot and blue that is cool. But in science we show, as the heat gets higher, a star will glow red like the coals of a fire. Raise the heat some more, and what is in sight? Behold, the star glows bright white. But the hottest of all, I say unto you, is neither red nor white when a star has turned blue. This is TGP Nominal. Welcome back to TGP Nominal. As this episode is going out a little bit later than normal, the Sky Guide is a little bit shorter than you would expect. Ross, what's been going on? Partly my fault. I've been playing with my planetarium, which we've got an inflatable planetarium for UK astronomy now, and I've been working this last month really hard trying to make sure that I get it perfect so we can take the kids and adults in there, project all the stars and planets on there, and actually do a whole planetarium show. Did our first one. It went really well. I'm really pleased. The school even wants us back. Now, the planets this month... As the sun sets later, now around about 9pm, you can have a really nice bright Venus going to pop out of the twilight sky, followed slowly by the red planet Mars around about an hour later, so you have a nice Venus and Mars in the evening sky. A little something to think about, if you pop out and see Mars and Venus in the evening sky, the gap between them is actually where the Earth passed through. We are now kind of like looking back at the planets as we move away backwards from them. Although Venus is faster, so it is chasing us and is actually going to pass us and catch up with us and then go past later in the year. We've kind of like gone past that gap and are looking back at these two planets up in the sky, which is quite cool. All the other planets are in the morning sky, starting with Saturn, who rises around about 3am. Neptune is about 3.30am. Jupiter is about 4.20am. You can spot them, but they're not actually at their best at the moment. The rising sun's kind of like going to be getting in the way for them, but you'll still be able to see them out there. Mercury's going to pop up around about 4.45 and will appear as a kind of like very thin crescent for a scope at the sort of like this halfway through the month where we are now. Uranus will follow. But again, that's too close to the sun to be spotted. So there is a few planets in the morning, but the best ones at the moment are Venus and Mars at the back, especially as Venus is actually coming towards us in orbit. So to start the guide off, I want to talk about a bright star, and that's Arcturus, which is actually one of the most energetic stars in our skies. It seems to burn almost like a torch in the constellation of Boots. And in fact, our ancestors named it Arcturus as they believed its power drove the great bear Ursa Major across the sky. The word Arctic actually comes from the Greek word Arctos, which means bear. So Arctic bear. Now through binoculars or a telescope the star kind of flickers madly especially in our atmosphere is moving a lot more so if it's moving a lot more like it does in the summer months because you know there's a lot more heat in the air and it's a lot more vibrant moves around a lot more. The star itself is a red giant around 36.7 light years away but it's so bright you can actually see it with a telescope in the daytime if you know where to look. So it's quite hard to spot but it's one of sort of like 10 objects that you actually can see during the day. 
It's also noctilucent cloud season. They're known as night shining clouds. They're the only clouds allowed by astronomers because as you know, we hate clouds. I talk about that a lot because they always get in the way of the stars and the cool stuff we can see. Now they can be seen as a sort of thin, wispy white, bluey sort of cloud high up in the Earth's mesosphere as they call it. And they can be up as high as sort of 50 miles above our surface. They say they're made of ice crystals that form in incredibly low temperatures on fine dust particles from meteors that have burnt up in our atmosphere. So it's actually like ice crystals that form on really fine dust particles. They're best seen 90 to 120 minutes after sunset or before sunrise, depending, because the sun lights them up from underneath pretty much. So as the sun's below half horizon, the light comes up and lights all these ice crystals up from below and they look really cool. Now, if we actually go on to the month ahead and the actual dates, we're going to start with what's left of the month following the moon. As it goes from a nice thin evening crescent, slightly to the bottom right of Venus in the evening this evening, and we're going to watch it brighten and pass the planets over the next few days. So on the 21st, it's kind of bottom right of Venus, very, very thin crescent, might get to see it. Moving on to 22nd, the moon starts getting closer to Venus, and if you can spot there's a prominent dark patch known as the Mare Crisium on the moon itself, known as the Sea of Crisis. It is 450 times 560 kilometers, which is rather big, and has three cool small craters in it that you might be able to see. They're called Picard, T. Earl Grey, Hot, Pierce, and Swift. You should be able to spot the Mare of your eye, but with binoculars and a telescope, you'll definitely bring out more craters. You might see these three craters that are inside of that Mare, and it's quite cool to see. Move on to the 23rd. The moon moves past Venus now and goes in between it and Mars, although it will be closer to Venus at that time. It's going to become more lit by the sun, so it's going to slowly get brighter as it moves around Earth in orbit. You should be able to spot another Mare. Now, this is a funny one. I'm going to try and pronounce this. Fecunditatis, I'm going to say. Slipping out of the shadow. It's actually just known as the Sea of Fertility. I might start calling them that because it's easier to pronounce. There's a very prominent crater as well, right by it, that should be visible, called Langrinus, which spans around 130 kilometers, again, quite big, with a central peak in its middle, which rises about three kilometers. And it's really cool to spot. So you have this crater right there, and then there's kind of like, almost like a mountain, like a peak inside of it, which is something you can see. Now, there is a meteor shower that's going to peak on this night. Camelopardalids, that's easy to say. Sadly, is only a minor meteor shower. It's in the constellation that looks like a giraffe. Now, there does seem to be some confusion in history over this constellation, as Camelopardalis is said to represent the camel which carried Rebecca to Isaac in the Bible, but it's clearly a giraffe in our constellation art. It was originally named in the 17th century as a constellation of camel. Historians and astronomers reckon that probably the name was mistranslated, but who knows. Anyway, I digress. Meteor shower. Now, Camelopardalis sits low on the horizon and it's to the north, so very much where the north is, northern horizon. It sits there most of the night, kind of goes down and then up again through the night. So it might not be the best to see when it peaks. It peaks from the middle of the constellation at around 10pm, which is pretty much the sun has kind of just set by then. So they say 
The amount you're going to see per hour is quite small, maybe five if you're lucky, but some sites I've read about it said they can actually have massive outbursts and have like 150. But from what I've read, that hasn't yet to be seen in sort of like, you know, our sort of era, the modern era. But you never know. Pop out, have a look. It might be a sudden burst. You might see a load of meteors just come flying across the sky. It's always worth a peek. And also to see the giraffe that's a camel, the camel that's a giraffe. Who knows? On the 24th, the moon slips very close to Mars now and it is actually at its nearest conjunction for the month to the red planet. You should be able to get them both in one field of view, hopefully, especially with binoculars. If you look at Mare Nectaris, it's now come into view as the sun has come around on the moon and that's the sea of nectar. And if the lighting on the moon is right, you may spot the crater Rossi. Now my name's Ross, so I quite like that because it's Rossi. People call me Rossi sometimes, I don't know why. And it'll be shining out from it. Kind of a bowl-shaped crater where the, the rising sun on the moon should light one side, kind of like its left-hand side, depending on what telescope you use because remember they flip things around with uh, mirrors and stuff. So one of the inside edges is going to be lit up and kind of like pop out of Mars's Mare shadow. So the crater is really cool to have a look at. See if you can find Rossi. On the 25th, the moon now slips away from the two planets and off into the night sky. So it's moving to the left and up. Just to the left of the Mare Nectaris, which we just spoke about, there are three very prominent craters that should pop out for you to see tonight on the 25th. From the bottom to the top, it's Catharina, Cyrillus, and Theophilus. Now Theophilus has a central peak like Langrinus, like we just spoke about, and has a smoother sort of floor than the other two craters. Cyrillus has a smaller crater within it that may be spotted with a scope. Almost like a dark hole, like a worm or something has burrowed down into the crater. So have a look at these two craters and see the difference between all three of them. Because they are all slightly different. One's smooth, one's got a big crater in it, and the other one's quite flat. Moving to the 27th. Now, this is a new one for me. It's called the Stars of Aristillus and it's a crater. So inside this crater on the moon is a cluster of high peaks that catch the sunlight, making it look like glittering stars inside. They kind of like come out from the crater's darkness. It can be found just to the left and maybe a little bit above the Apennus mountain range, which is definitely worth a look at in your scope. You'll definitely see that. So have a look there because the glinting sunlight over the top might just make all these little sort of five, six, seven peaks in the middle of it in this crater and it kind of peaks out and they say it looks like twinkling stars sometimes. Not seen it yet, so I'll be interested to have a look at that. So the 27th, definitely go and have a look if it's clear. Moving on to the 29th, Mercury reaches its farthest point from the sun in the morning sky, although it's going to be low and the sun rises not long after it. So the elusive planet stays a hard spot for astronomers, but it is there. You never know. You might get to see it if you've got a low horizon, a little white dot in the sky. That's Mercury. Get a telescope on it, see its phase change. I think it will go from a sort of crescent maybe to half around that sort of phase. On the 30th, this evening's Venus should be at half phase if you take a look at it through a telescope. But something I've just found out is that it actually has a phase anomaly. Apparently, due to the planet's thick atmosphere, which interferes with the light. So it kind of like the refraction of the light around the planet makes the apparent phase appear earlier than it should. So it's not actually at a half phase, it's slightly less, but the refraction of the light around it makes it look like it, which is quite cool. Last but not least, the 31st. Mars is close to the awesome cluster known as the Beehive Cluster or Presepe. It's a lovely cluster of different coloured stars that look like busy bees buzzing around a hive. It looks best through a pair of binoculars, so hopefully through the binoculars you'll get to see Mars and this awesome cluster. And that's everything for the month. So, thank you guys, and remember, there's a billion worlds in your back garden. Thanks Ross. Even though the sky guide was a little bit short, it certainly packed in a lot to see. Usually at this point, Will from Twice Brewed Stargazing will be bringing you his objects of the month, but unfortunately, it hasn't been possible for this episode. Aww. 
but he will be back next month. Yay! Will has been travelling across China and Japan and hit the ground running on his return with lots of stargazing events. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. Well, that's another TGP nominal in the bag, albeit a reduced one. June will be a very busy month for me as I'll be completing half a century of circuits around the sun. There will be a full sky guide from Ross, and as I mentioned earlier, Will will be back with his object of the month. Hopefully normal service will be resumed in July, with John returning to the fold. So that leaves me to say, thanks for listening, stay safe, and we'll speak to you again real soon. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.